Hello and welcome to the Football Junto Podcast. This is episode four, and I'm your host, Julian Stoller. You can follow us on Twitter, at Football Junto, and I'm here with my guest, Danny Neville. You can follow him on Twitter, at Champion Football. Football is spelled with one L. Danny, welcome. Yeah, welcome. Uh, really pleased to be here. Thanks for coming. We're, we're really happy to have you here. Today we're going to be talking about the future coach blueprint. Um, but before, I just want to go into your very, very extensive CV, but just a brief brief history of your, uh, your background. Uh, I first went into coaching, um, I was playing for uh, Bournemouth Poppies at the time and our coach Sean Brooks um, run a coaching company and he asked me to come in, come and get involved. I hadn't really thought about coaching before that because I was still sort of early 20s. Uh, I came in and was expecting to collect some cones and I ended up sort of taking part of the session, Uh, quite liked it. From there I went to the, on to my level one um, and then did my level two Um, from there. I worked in the. I continued to work for Sean. Uh, I worked for um, AFC Bournemouth Community, and then um, lastly, I worked in the academy where I stayed for seven years. Um, re- really enjoyable and beneficial period. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved on then to uh, Bournemouth Poppies. I was playing, and I become player coach. Um, and that season was um, was was quite a difficult one, um, and I actually actually stopped playing because I was playing. You come in at half time and. You might be struggling, and I'd be the worst player. Um, that's difficult, really. You know, as a coach, so you know you have to take a step back, and you know you look what the team needs. And at the time, it wasn't me, um, so that really sort of finished my playing, and that was where the I would say the coaching career really started. Yeah, um, I started working at Solent University at the time as well, um, which again has been very beneficial where I still am now. Um, and I currently um, work for uh, run a company called Champion Sports. Yeah, and I. I also work for the British Virgin Islands uh, FA as well. So what is your involvement with the British Virgin Islands? Um, well, I come across, it was a random one, really. I was working um, at Bournemouth Stadium and the session was going ahead and some random person walked across the pitch and wanted to speak to Eddie Howe. And I said, well, you know, it's not quite that, that easy. <laughs> do, do you mind asking what it's for? And he said he wanted a, a link with the British Virgin Islands. And at the time, I, I worked for Bournemouth and... It was with the young players he was looking, so we had a few conversations and, you know, you have a lot of conversations in football, most of which don't lead to anything. And, you know, the conversation was sort of kept alive and um, in the end, um, we ended up running it ourselves. Bournemouth couldn't really get involved in it at the time and it just sort of went from running a camp to assisting them with some players to help housing their players after Hurricane Irma. And uh, now I've been invited to work with the national team, which is um, a fantastic achievement. That's great. And how often are you involved with the national team? Um, the national team, we are hosting a um, camp in Dorset in uh, April. Okay. We then go on another camp in July. And then we're in the, the FIFA match windows of September, October, November and March. Fantastic. And could you mind giving a little bit more detail about your co- coaching company? Uh, yes, uh, Champion started in 2012. Um, we started with 10 players, um, 10 players that we identified through a schools programme that were that had probably above average ability, um, that weren't currently getting any extra coaching. Um, so 10 become 20, and then one night become two, and then today we have 560 members. Wow. Uh, we coach 1,160 children every week across a very, very diverse range of sort of topics not just football now um you know i never, never saw the company going where it was you know i've been in business quite a lot um this is probably the only company that we haven't had one free five-year plans you know uh mm-hmm. the plan was really just to you know make sure we delivered quality and 
delivered our message, which uh, thankfully I think we're still doing. And what what do you think, short, just like what that message is, really? Uh, I think the message is um, improve. Um, You know, the sessions, we're always looking to challenge the players. We're always looking to um, look at what the players need, look at what the players doing well, give the players honest feedback and really try and help them get to the best level they can. Um, You know, I see a lot of of companies, it's bridge the gap to pro. You know, very few go on to pro. So, you know, that's not necessarily our only game you know as a business if two percent go through you know what business wants a two percent success rate so our ethos really is to get every player to their best level so whether that's a premier league or dorset premier league we want it we want every player to realize his potential that's fantastic uh well so today we i, I you know hopefully brought you in here to talk about the future coach blueprint yep. this is an idea at football junto we're talking about you know as a young generation how do we build ourselves for the future what are some of the traits we can have and somebody with an, ex- an extensive background like yourself with experience in coaching and playing as well and in d- these different environments for example a, a Premier League environment a Premier League Academy environment and as well as a national team environment you know, what are some of the some of the traits you would see in the, in the future coach uh, I think the future coach um, I think that football's changed a lot when when I was playing you were the structure was first team manager assistant manager and if they had the right size budget they might have a first team coach physio so your staff might be four but if you look at Premier League Championship and some League One clubs now the staff is over 40 Yeah. so you know gone are the days where you turn up at nine and go home at, go home at one um, I think the modern, modern coach will have some sort of you know I think you need to be a lot more articulate because you're not just managing players you're managing quite a large group of staff as well so you look at these organisations and you know for sure you need to be organised Um I think you need to be articulate. I think the old autocratic manner where I'll tell you to do it, you do it, is gone really. Yeah. So I think you need to be, um, I think the man management and communication skills need to be really good. And I think management now, certainly, I mean, I manage 19 staff now and it's very conversational. So we say, what, what you know, we have good staff, so we ask their opinion and then between us we we get the, uh, hopefully we get the right plan together. Of course, I have, I have the final say, but the, the staff are integral yeah. in, in, in what we do. Um, and, and I think that is the, the role of the modern manager. I think it has it has changed that in that respect. That you know, I think it is a lot more sort of you know the buck stops the manager. But I think it is a lot more conversational now and Definitely. managing staff and and managing players. So I, I think the manager of the future is I think communication skills and organisation is very important. Uh, embracing technology. Yeah, you, know, you look at the technology involved in the game now. I think it's only going to go one way. Um, you know, I think it's important that you can interpret the technology and you can interpret the data and the statistics. I think they have a place, but you know, interpretation I think is key. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the ability to embrace technology and keep an open mind, uh, I think, is really, really important. And when you're hiring coaches, say, what, what are some of the characteristics you look for in in, in uh, somebody who's somebody's eager, maybe, or somebody who's very hardworking? What are some of the characteristics? Yeah, I, I you think look for? I think you know, work ethic is key. All the, all the top people I know. They start early, they finish late. You know, they enjoy what they do. They work hard at what they do. I think that's. I think work work ethic, of course, is is a real key. Um, and I think positive. I think for me, you know, coaches that believe they can improve players, coaches that believe, you know, that they want a challenge, that they they want to, that you know, they want to embrace the challenge. Um, I think that's really important. So the the positive the positive outs, outlook and good communication skills are, are really important to us. Um, maybe even more important than the qualifications in some ways because we can yeah. give them the qualifications we can help them through them 
but changing character and personality traits can be can be difficult. That's an interesting topic because you do have to have a certain level of understanding of the game in order to communicate with your players, in order to communicate with your other coaches as well. And those do come from the football education uh, badges that you can receive, right? Yeah. Yeah. So do you think yes or no? Yeah, um, yeah to, to a certain extent. You know, when I've, when I've been on the courses, you know, I don't know necessarily if I, if I learn off the course. What I'd probably learn off the course would be a manner or mechanism of delivery. Sure. I think your knowledge is built... Um, outside the course, my knowledge was built by playing. Um, I learned a lot from playing, um, and I learned a lot from just constantly going to watch games and watching yeah. other coaches work. So I would say maybe your knowledge is gained away from the courses, and what the courses have taught me is how to use the knowledge. Yeah, if, if that if that makes sense, that totally makes sense. I think that what you said before is that you got a lot of your knowledge from playing that leads to the question, what about managers who have never really played the game or managers who have never played at a higher level? Do you think they can still sort of communicate their ideas to the players? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a big thing on like Mourinho and Wenger, those types not playing, but I think that's harsh to say they didn't play. They didn't play at the top level, but they were still conference prem level players, I believe. So they still had an understanding of football. Now, I don't think you necessarily needed to be a 200-game Premier League winning 100 international caps uh, as such. Um, but I, you know what I would say is, if you didn't play, then where did you where 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 did the knowledge come from? Even yeah. even at a low level. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think there's two sides to it as well. Like Rafa Benitez, Klopp as well, didn't play at such higher higher levels, but they do have a very studious side to them. They're always observing. They're always learning. They're always surrounding themselves by um, not only influences on the pitch but also off the pitch. People who you know talk about learning, talk about communicating things to different players. They learn about the psychology of, of that, and not just through playing. They learn it through education, through academics. But also, you get the flip side of that coin, where you get players who have this ego that they can just because they've played at a high level means that they can coach at a high level. But where did their actual coaching perspective come from? It's just a player's perspective, right? Yeah. But I think, especially having played as well in certain environments now having coached in certain environments as well you definitely get different perspectives you know i'm think i'm asking myself why why am i doing this why is this session happening what are some of the things you can learn from these sessions as a coach when you're building them you you put yourself into that player's perspective right uh, i think that's very beneficial um, and definitely invaluable so <laughs> that also leads to our, another topic that we're talking about but what is the role of a coach because the coach can have many different roles in, uh, in a team, whether it's man management or tactics or teaching or communicating, but what are some of the some of the roles that are less looked at that you think a coach can um, have? Yeah, again, I think it's that that communication between departments. If we're talking at a, a higher level club, uh, the relationship with uh, the analyst, for instance, a sports scientist, your first team coach, your assistant. So, I think again, no harnessing all those roles and being organised and being able to interpret that data. I thought, again, I think that's important. Uh, you know, letting the players know where they where they stand, being honest with the players, having that relationship with the players. I think if you go into a club, then having that relationship and building that relationship is important. Uh, being able, being a good observer. Yeah. So observation, I think, is a really underrated trait. So watching games and watching training, being able to look at what people need, uh, need to improve, um, how you can improve what they need to improve on. And actually, something I don't really hear a lot of is... Most of the questions I tend to get from parents are, what can my son do better? Yeah. Never really get the question, what does my son do really well? Because mm-hmm. actually what you do really well 
is important to get you in the team in the team in the first place. That that trait, that USP that you might have that other players don't, I think is really important. And I just think we always focus on the bits that they could do better. I, I still think what people do well, specialists, what, yeah, I, yeah, I sure. think is really important as well. And again, so that that ability to observe and dissect that I think is is really important. Well, that'll come uh, with your talent ID background, but we'll get into more of that later. However. W- at Football Junto, we were talking a lot about football philosophy, so creating an ethos for yourself, really, and creating an idea or a, a genre of your own coaching style, right? Yeah. And that comes, that's very unique, right? That's a yeah. very unique aspect. But in terms of developing your own, you know, where did you really look to? Did you look to former coaches you had or maybe coaches yeah. you looked up to? Or where did you look forward to create it? Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate when, when I started coaching. I was working for Sean Brooks. I was playing for Sean Brooks, Um and he, he's been massive for my for my journey, especially early on, because I wasn't interested in coaching. And what what Sean did was when I went to Bournemouth, uh, Poppies that he managed, he was probably the first coach that actually improved me and actually talked about imp- performance. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was average when I when I went there, and I was a little bit above average when I left. But uh, he actually showed me the power coaching can have. Sure. So you know, I looked at that and thought, wow, actually, I've never really played for a coach like this before. And then. To be honest, I started coaching because I wanted to be with him just to just to see his his attributes and the way he dealt with players, and then it just ended up going for now. And he had some really sort of simple beliefs that he sort of been put on me that that hopefully I've taken through. What do you mind sharing some of those beliefs, some of those tactics? That yeah, he, he always wanted the players on the move. The session always was set up long before the players come in. The session always always started on time. Um, everything would have to be realistic to a game. There'd have to be a justification for everything that you did. And you'd actually have to step in and correct, and you'd have to improve performance. Yeah. Um, well, that level of professionalism manifests throughout the team. Like, it's it's it's, it's contagious, really. That's you know, right, Start yeah. from the coach. You know, you show up to a session, you don't see it. You see the cones unorganized. You see the, the coach setting up while you're, while you're arriving, really, or, or late, rather. You, you tend to not work as hard. You tend to not pay attention as much. But when, when the session is is set up perfectly it moves well together so like you don't have to change as much the coach doesn't have to set up cones after a certain session they it moves very continuously yeah. the players tend to work harder they the, the environment's much better but and that's also something a, a coach can control a coach can't control everything that their players do but rather the coach can control the environment almost every time that they the players arrive right yeah so if you just take care of that you know, things will be much, much easier. Yeah, that's right. And his attention to detail, like I turned up without a watch one week and that, and that was it. I was on the touchline watching him work. You had to have a watch. Everything was done to specific timings and to specific blocks. Um, he, he was excellent for me, Sean, I have to say. And in terms of preparation, what did he usually do before? before uh, preparation session? for games, we would, we would always do something on the Thursday that we were going to try and put into action on a Saturday. Now, I know that probably sounds like a given, but I played for 15 years and I can only think of two managers that actually do something on a Thursday that actually related to the Saturday. Yeah. Everything related. Um, and what I liked about it, it was brilliantly simple. It was brilliantly simple and under, understand. And I, I mean, I was quite fortunate. I played for, when I, pl- I, I played, I had a spell playing for Bournemouth in their, their centre of excellence. I played for Sean O'Driscoll. Uh, who I look back now and who, who again is a, is a is a brilliant mind, a real deep thinker. But he was too clever for me at the time. Mm-hmm. I remember under sixteens, what he did was too clever for me. Um, what do you what do you mean by that? Too clever for you? A lot of a lot of the cryptic way he would ask questions. A lot of the way he set the sessions up. Um, it, it was it was above my level of sort of understanding at the time. If I'm honest, now I look back at what he did, I thought, wow, that was really good. Yeah. But it was it was above me at the time. Whereas Sean had. 
Um, Brooks, for instance, really broke everything down and made it made it simple. But actually, funnily enough, I, when I worked at, at Bournemouth, Sean O'Driscoll was first team manager and I watched a few of his sessions and he used to do our in-service. And as I had sort of developed and understood more, he was another one that, that, that made things really simple then. But yeah. obviously at 16, he was probably a little bit too much for me. But um, when I came into coaching, again, it was one of those, he'd say something, you think, oh, wow, that's simple. Well, why didn't I think of that? that? That's great. What are some of the examples of a preparation you would do on a Thursday in order to prepare for a uh, I think it depends who we were playing. So we, we, we tended to play in a in a four four two, but sometimes it might become a four four one one if we were playing away from home, if they were going to play the mid, with a free, for instance. So roles and responsibilities of the players... Uh, he'd always let me know and let the players know what uh, what was expected of them and that's definitely something that I took into when I, so when I managed um, Bournemouth Poppies and when I when I managed uh, the Bournemouth University sides and now working with the Virgin Islands I like to try and make sure that every player understands you know what what they need to do and what, what their roles are and then if you ever ever if you ever have to leave anyone out which you know I think any manager would tell you can be quite difficult if they've not done what you've asked them to do then it's 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 quite it's a lot easier to the, leave someone out. The players will take ownership for that, right? Yeah, I think, I, yeah. I think ownership is a very important key in a lot of people and a lot of coaches' philosophies, like getting these players to buy in. And maybe we can talk some ways of about some ways of of, of getting these players to buy in to not on, only your philosophy, your tactics, your work ethic, but just ownership themselves for for what they do. And what are some of the ways that you develop that as a coach to get get these players to to work for you and and develop their ownership? Again, I think developing ownership, uh, you know, even when you know we give them a specific role, there's still a lot of freedom within that role. So I think I would say their ownership would be to put their interpretation on it, if that, if that makes sense. Definitely, yeah. And then you know we within could, the guidelines, yeah, within the guidelines, and you know, same as the coaches. The coaches have a session plan, but a session plan is more outcomes. You know, how they get to those outcomes is up to them. That that's why we employ them because they because they're very good and. You know, I've been at places where where you come in as a coach, and I've seen coaches work, and they're very good. But it's too stringent, it's too strict. It doesn't allow for any doesn't allow for any creativity. And okay. you know, you think I don't know why you would employ that coach, and then go and tell him you you know why. Then then he has to go and do that if you yeah. employ him. Embrace his strengths, and I think the same for players as well. So if we pick the players, we hope that we pick players that are capable of doing the jobs we ask them, and then they have the the freedom to go and deliver our outcomes, mm-hmm. and then they're accountable for them as well. That's great. And what are some of the, maybe some of the topics you would go through in a session? Like say, for example, you're building a session that tried to breed creativity. Would you talk about that a little bit, maybe session planning in general and how you would approach building a session around creativity? Yeah, I think for cricket, creativity is uh, is a really difficult thing to coach, actually. I think if I was coaching creativity, a lot of it would focus on getting into the positions to allow you to be creative. Definitely, yeah. Rather than actually trying to coach the creativity itself. So we want our creative players in possession. So the, the session would probably focus on them taking up positions to get themselves in possession. Then what they do from there, you know, the outcomes are, are you know, hopefully a goal, shot, cross, pass. Definitely. I think yeah. that's one of the only things a coach can control is basically giving these these players a script to get to these uh, areas, advance, advance action areas rather. So players, you know, behind the defense, behind the midfield, or behind the forwards as well in those pockets of space. But a, a coach's philosophy or coach's style of play is all about getting them the players there. Right. Yeah, I think it's about getting the players there. I mean, I think that leads on like working with the Virgin Islands, working with Caribbean kids. Caribbean kids are they're off the cuff, they're unstructured, but some of the stuff they do is absolutely brilliant, and yeah. they're so bold and positive. Now, it would be pointless us 
working with them and trying to keep them in a rigid you could never play a low block with a Caribbean team because they're not disciplined enough to do it but you could have a high press because they're willing runners they work hard yeah um, so for them for instance there's very little coaching per se but we try and give them a little bit of a structure when we're out of possession and when they're in possession then they've actually got a little bit of freedom like the fullbacks will end up higher than the wide men so then you know you just ask the wide men look at the picture it's, it's really interesting because you've had such a diverse background and teams that you've coached so you've sort of been given all of these problems where you have to manage different styles right you have to manage different different backgrounds right yeah and it sort of creates this um, this arsenal you have of, of, of skill to be yep. able to assess a situation, say, oh, yeah, to identify rather that these players probably wouldn't be able to play in a low block due to their upbringing and their style of play. That's re- that's really interesting. I think that really helps you out as a coach and helps give you um, skills and, and ability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, w- I would say, you know, I'm not a maybe a massive believer on philosophies. I, I, I do believe, but I think they've got to be the philosophy really is your players. So I think you go in very early, you look at the culture of the players, the culture of the country, what you've got, the attributes you've got in your group. And then I think your job is to get the best out of the attributes yeah. and limit, the, limit the, obviously, the opposition and try and limit their weaknesses. Definitely. I think that was something in, in the football junta we discussed is, is the, the football philosophy has to be malleable and has to be... Uh, one, one of our members said everything depends on everything. So it, everything you do depends on what it is you're actually doing, which sounds quite obvious, but it is really important. Yeah, you, you, see, you see it all the time where, I mean, I've, I've had coaches as well talk about implementing their philosophy to the team. And so you have them say, yes, I want to play this style. But then you look at the team and you look at the personnel and you say, that's not really what these guys are good at. And you get players playing for their coach instead of expressing themselves. And that's a huge detriment. And I think if we're going to talk about the future coach blueprint, it's definitely something that I think new age coaches are, are using. I mean, they're, they're talking about their style of play and implementing that and ways of getting into advanced action areas, let's say. But that ability to extract the expression of players is something that all, all coaches should have. And yeah, they should really agree, not yeah. try to look to get in the way of, um, definitely. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, they're only really, you know, I'd love to be able to put 44 yards between the centre backs, drop a drop the pivot player in. and Sure. But, you know, they would do it sometimes, but then they wouldn't do it others. And if you're going to play that way and you've got the centre part, centre back split, then you're going to cause yourself problems. So for us, it was um, we're played to their strengths because you can't sign anyone. Yeah. Because, you know, because it's international football. And if you if you change the personnel, you're going to get more people from the same culture and the same type of player. So, you yeah. know, you go with the best that you believe you've got and you, you put them in situations so you can see the best, you know, so, so they can be the best that they can be. What, and as a coach there, what is your focus? Is it more on development or is it more on results? Um, as a national team, so it's results. Yeah, it has to be, right? It's first and foremost results. Obviously, I've been fortunate that I'm involved in the age groups. Um, but even the age, the age groups is for sure development. But because we don't have them very often, it's we, we want development. But they, they've got to be in and go, we've got to be competitive as well. Uh, yeah, result, result, results are key, really. Well, the key for also developing and improving that your style of play works, right? So development, I mean, sorry, the results have to be there in order for you to build a foundation. Uh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the results are your, are your justification, really. As a um, coach and as a team. Yeah, especially international level. Um, that said, we're going to be exciting because we can't be anything else. Yeah. You know, we've got lots of creative players. Well, when we talk about the inverse of that and the sort of youth development some coaches focus on results for youth development instead of actual 
physical and, and, and creative development of these players. Do you think that's positive or, or a negative thing? Uh, I think you'd always look to develop first. Um, but the higher up the age groups you go, the more uh, the more performance and results probably do matter. So, you know, it, under 15s, under 16s, the reality is maybe not so much with the Premier League now because debuts are older, but certainly in the Football League and lower leagues, you might be a year away or six months away from playing in the FA Cup and all yeah. of a sudden you're in a first team environment where it you know where it does matter and people aren't going to say oh well you know develop. unlucky yeah. You know, yeah, things like so that. I think it's a fine line um, I think you'd always develop first um, you know you want to create brave players mm-hmm. I suppose lower down you know we play at every age group so with champion for instance whether it's sevens or sixteens or eighteens as we'll have this year then we'll, all, we'll always try and play we'll always be brave and we, we find that if you can get the players to buy in, as you as you've mentioned before, um, if you believe in the philosophy, if you if you do it every week, then you should win more games than you lose anyway. Yeah, they'll be the results of your results. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's really great. And I wanted to talk about our third topic, which was talent identification, because okay. you have background in talent. That's right. Talent. Yeah. Can you give a little bit of your background? Yeah, with I worked um, as an under twenty one scout um, for Bournemouth for uh, a period. Uh, then I worked in the talent ID department from the academy, and I run their ID program and shadow. I help create their ID program and shadow squads. What are what are some of the, the things that you learned as a talent identifier to pretty much implement into your coaching philosophy or coaching uh, strategy or coaching ethos? Yeah, I think, um, and, and it's quite prevalent now, but may, maybe more so in the last two years, but the physical, uh, the, the psychological and social corner, I think, are, are really, really important. What about those social and psychological? Um, well, I saw a picture the other day and it was Cristiano Ronaldo when he's first come to United and he's yeah. like seven stone wet through and then it showed him <laughs> at Real Madrid now, an absolute physical specimen. Yeah. And I looked at that and I thought, is that physical? Well, of course, it is physical, isn't it? But is it really psychological? Does the psychological drive him to want to actually get to that level and that condition? And the social, right? It's and about the, the environment as yeah. well. Yeah, so I think the psych and social drive everything. So okay. where possible, I, 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 would certain, I would certainly look at their sort of character traits. What do they do off the ball? What do they do if something doesn't go their way? Um, what are they like if, they get, if they're losing? What they like if they make a mistake? Do they really want to go and get the ball against? All that, all those type of things. And those things, in terms of talent ID, do you think those are traits that are developed as well, or do you think they're more innate? When when you're looking at these players at a young age and you see them react to losing the ball, do you think maybe, hey, what if I told this player you have to react better? Do you think they'll sort of start to sort yeah? Of potentially, change? I think also it depends on where the talent ID is. So if you're watching a game on a touchline and the player gives the ball away and his body language maybe isn't great the next time is that endemic of the environment that sure. he's in in his club. So would he be that in our environment, which is maybe a more nurturing environment, where it's, yeah, it's okay to make a mistake. What isn't okay is to not want the ball. That's true. That's not that's that's what's not okay, is to not want the ball. If you want the ball and you give it away, we accept that, because we want you to get in possession, we're going to challenge you. It's not, it's not wanting the ball. Then you have to try and make a judgment call that if you brought him in uh, and you saw him in your environment and he was in that environment, maybe would his mindset change slightly? That's great. I mean, that's a great example of, of something you can learn uh, from watching players and, and talent ID. And we'll say, for example, let's give you give you this uh, scenario. If you were given a player who showed a lot of promise, but they were nervous every time they got into a game. But for example, in training, they always wanted the ball. They got into a game and they didn't. They kind of hid a little bit. They didn't really want the ball. They didn't want to make mistakes. What would you do? How would you approach that as a yeah, coach? Yeah, I think it's got to be again, a, depending on the age of the player. Um, if he's a, maybe a younger player, maybe. A sort of un- 16s and below maybe you'd involve the parents as well and you you know because you never know where the pressure might be coming from sure um it, it's amazing really that you know we run a games program on a saturday for instance 
and the parents are there. And it's an under under nines one, and there were goals going in. But the environment was great. It was nice and relaxed because it was just a games program that we put on. But I know if we had done that again on a Sunday and it was Dorset League, then the environment changes and everything matters, and you get people psychoanalyzing things. And mm-hmm. then, you know, I think ner- nervousness from people on the touchline at times can transfer sort of onto the pitch, onto a little, onto the pitch a little bit as well. So. Uh, we would have a conversation where I think we would involve the parents. We would try and reiterate to the player that it's okay. If you give yeah. the ball away, it's okay. It's not okay to not to not want the ball. You know, we would highlight that we backed him. We backed yeah. the player. You know, you're in an environment where it's a selected environment and we've selected you. We've selected you because we believe in you. Yeah. Now you need to believe in you. Yeah. I think it's super important. I remember playing and you, you get those man managers as coaches and they, they're always backing you. They're giving you confidence or uh, and that makes a huge difference. It's a huge positive influence. But then you get the inverse and you get coaches who, let's say they drop you from, you started two or three games and then you, you're suddenly dropped, but they don't talk to you. They don't talk to you about why. So I think you have to actually you know, reiterate the positives, but also balance the negatives and say, look, you've been struggling, so that's why we've dropped you, or we still have confidence confidence in you as a player, but this is X, Y, and Z you need to improve on. In order to do that, you can start again. So it's all about the communication. Yeah, It's all about that communication. And, and um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the, the importance of those coaches in those situations. Um, do you prepare your coaches at Champion Sports or a football champion to do those things or how do you do that do you, do you do you tell them that you know give them a curriculum or maybe a structure and how to deal with with players and man management um to a certain extent but again i think man management's quite quite personal so i think it'd be difficult within a syllabus to tell people what they needed to do sure. with players i think the the coach's personality sort of has to show through and they have to they have to be genuine to themselves now we've got coaches that are very very nurturing yeah, uh, they tend to work maybe a little bit lower down at times, and then we've got coaches that um, that are quite direct. Uh, they maybe work a, a, a little bit higher up because you know there are times when people you know when people need to be direct. As long as it as long as it's done in a in a positive way, I'll, I'll just say just going back to the uh, the point on the player with confidence. Some, sometimes, if that's their personality trait, if you've got someone that is you know when I, when I played, if I played uh, in training. You know, I'd be quite, I'd be quite happy. I'd be in diagonal balls. I want the ball, and then when it comes to games, and there was a crowd, and there was people around, I'd always, I, I would have that little bit of nervousness. So I think my, my instincts, you know, would, would those instincts lead me to be in a ten? No, I don't think they would. You know, so yeah. that, that mean, that means that my personality probably leads me to be more of a defensive-minded player, which I am. Mm. And I played with a player called Fauzi Sarji, probably one of the best signings ever made, and. He played as a ten, and he did not care. He'd give the ball away fifty times, and he wouldn't. He'd still want the ball again. Nothing would affect him. That's so, interesting. so that character trait, you know, leads me to believe he's a ten. Now, I remember Fozzy missed four penalties in a row, and he was off penalties. We said before the game, "You are not on penalties. Our striker's going to take the penalty." We played it. It was a local derby. Uh, we were one nil down. We got a penalty in the last minute. Striker's got the ball in his hands. Fozzy's wrestled the ball out of his hands, yeah. and we were on the touchline, and we're like, "No!" And he's put it down, and he's run up fake to blast it and just just lifted it keeper's gone the wrong way and he yeah. scored and you think that is you that is why you are yeah. the player you are because he's got that much self-belief so I think if you're going to play in a 10 if you're going to be uh, an attacking player where you know his statistics are always the worst in the team for, for pass retention and for ball retention yet when he hit a pass it would be a killer pass and it would lead, sure. he, he also had the the best statistics in shots leading to goals and goal assists and goals as well so I think if you're going to be that type of player you have got to have that absolutely unshakable self-belief that, that you can play there so it leads to a different topic but do you think that certain positions on the pitch have to have certain 
traits or different yeah I, I think to a do if your Fousey could never play as a four sure because he's not disciplined enough and he'd have the ball in the D of his area and he'd, he'd be trying to Cruyff turn people mm-hmm. one nil up a minute to go so Fousey couldn't be a four he couldn't be a, a centre back because he lacks a discipline so naturally for him you know he would play as a ten as a centre forward uh, as an inverted wide man and then you know we had um, uh, player Wayne Crutcher you know but he was very defensive minded but he was very he was very good as well in the fact that he was always safe so his positioning was great and he was disciplined and he's not one that would ever lose his position so I think within the team you need that balance and Definitely. You know, it comes down to that round pegs and round holes again yeah that's great uh, we're, we're almost running out of time here and I, I think um, organically I wanted to ask you that final this final question it's something I asked myself as well and I hope to ask other coaches but in general uh, why do you coach um yeah, I think for enjoyment. I think it's if you don't enjoy it, if you don't, you know, wake up in the morning looking forward to doing it, it's probably time to go. Yeah, I don't think this is a type of job you can coast through. So you're either in it and you're in it and you commit to it, uh, or or you're not really. So you know, I, I probably send my first email at six in the morning, the last one at sort of twelve o'clock at night. You know, I work weekends, uh, um, but I never really ever sort of count the hours. You know, it's it's a job that needs to be done, and you know. I think anyone that works in football is in a very, very privileged position, really. That's great. That's uh, that's fantastic. So um, I think that concludes the episode, but I, I've learned a lot from you, and um, thank you so much for, for coming. Yeah, no, no problem. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much.